Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Laws Podcast with East Forest. I am Mr. Forrest. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. This week, I'm really excited because I have Mr. John Hopkins, the one and only on the podcast. And for those of you who maybe paid a little attention, we released a track that's from his new album, and the track is called Sit Around the Fire. That also features uh, some recordings from Ram Dass. But this is part of John's new album that is called Music for Psychedelic Therapy that releases on November 12th on Domino Records. So it's coming out very soon, depending on when you're listening to this. This may already be out. But I, I just, more than anything, I mean, John is someone that I've admired and been a fan of for many, many years. Um, but I really wanted to ask him questions about how this record was made and how it came to be and the inspiration for it because just as a as a user and a fan I got to experience the record with some ketamine therapy at Rada's clinic and I just found it so profound and you know there's not many people out there making music uh, ex- explicitly for the psychedelic space and it's so exciting that someone of John's caliber is stepping into that field. So I think, I know you're going to love this episode because I think we really get under the hood and John's just really vulnerable and honest about the work and so willing to share about his process in, in many, many different ways. And we, we recorded this a while ago, actually. I believe it was in August. But um, we so we hadn't even done the event together in Austin at this point. We hadn't met in person. We'd probably known each other in a virtual space for over a year collaborating and just hanging out online. <laughs> but um, we hadn't met up yet. So I had the honor after this was recorded, as as you might know, to do that joint event together in Austin, Texas. And it was a ceremony concert uh, in addition to a deep immersive listening of this entire album, Music for Psychedelic Therapy, uh, of his. And it was so cool to hear the album in that live space because it was on this really large uh, surround sound system and the the bass and the low end elements become so physical in the room on a system like that and that's something that I had heard when I listened to the record it's the beautiful like sub frequencies I think John is so masterful at but to feel it in a big space and to feel uh, and to listen to the album with a group of people and witness it in that sort of shared group consciousness was just awesome and even more awesome for him to be right there. So we had a blast together. We got to uh, spend a lot of time the next day together. And he feels like a kindred spirit. He feels like a brother from another mother. So I just couldn't be uh, more excited to share this with you. And I look forward to you to finally being able to hear his entire record, Music for Psychedelic Therapy. And if you haven't heard Sit Around the Fire, the single that is out now with Ram Dass, John Hopkins, and uh, myself in there, go hear it. Give yourself the eight minutes to really set aside to either put on some good headphones or listen to that on a good system. And like, give give this space and time for it to really sink in because there's a lot of juju there in it. Ramdas is in this really beautiful place and it's it's worth it to let it fully sink in and fully receive that gift. Even better, if you want to see the video that was made, it's just, it's stunning too. It was made by the production house. Yes, please. You can find it on YouTube. Uh, just sit, search, uh, sit around the fire, John Hopkins or Ram Dass, and you should find it. It is just 
It's one of the finest animations I've ever seen of the Be Here Now book, which is the 50th anniversary of the book. We get into all these like amazing alignments and synchronicities, but um, I'll let you hear us talk about it in the podcast ourselves. But before we get into this, just a little bit of of business, two announcements. Uh, I just announced some live dates. It's going to be in Dublin. Speaking of our friends overseas, such as John, uh, that's April 9th in Dublin. It's my first time in Ireland, period, let alone playing. Uh, We're working on a UK show, so uh, stay tuned for that. We're actually working on a lot of shows. There's going to be a lot of announcements for what we can do in 2022. So the best way to know about those and get the tickets for some of these limited space shows is the newsletter. So eastforest.org. Also going to be playing in in Boise in middle of December. We're going to be announcing that soon, a ceremony concert. But on December 4th, coming right up, is sort of my virtual release event for Journey Space, which is that new platform that I just launched, journeyspace.com, which is a space for online uh, live facilitated journeys. So you can go there and we're guiding journeys with music, but there's a person there in real time and then in small groups. So sort of like I was saying it's powerful to be in a group in Austin and to experience that music together. We know that, you know, witnessing together in groups and one another and accountability and the support and compassion of those spaces are, are valuable uh, beyond just being an individual and by ourselves. So that's kind of the magic of Journey Space is that we do these events where you can come together online and be guided in the Journey Space, however you see fit to do that. And we also uh, provide some preparation and integration circles. So um, check it out. It's journeyspace.com, and it's an ongoing thing, and it's an experiment. So I want to see how it works for you. But December 4th is our inaugural event, and it's uh, an online event that you can do it through Journey Space and be in that small group. That's limited in size, so join up if you want to do that. But the live stream itself, I'll be playing live, will be open to anyone. And so that will be on YouTube Live like I did those in the past. I'll be streaming it and uh, performing from my studio here in Boise, Idaho. And I'm hoping to have some new instruments to share with you on that. So I'm very excited about that. Um, But if you want all the details about the link to watch or Journey Space, uh, you can just go to eastforest.org. And it's all right there on the front page or on the tour page. And I think you'll, you'll see what you need to see. And lastly, as the holidays are coming up, we put a few new fun things in the store. They're not there yet, but I just want to give you a heads up. We got these cool new dad hats with the Nautilus on them. And we also have a sheet music book that Lorna Dune helped me uh, transcribe. Well, she did the transcription. I just, like, helped uh, edit it. It's awesome. It's something I've been wanting to do for many, many years. So stay tuned for that. Piano players, there'll be some sheet music of 10 different East Forest songs, many of your favorites. Uh, and other than that, I'm just sort of, uh, prepping with Rada to go to Esalen in a few days for our little sold out retreat there. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to add more of those in the future and we'll keep you informed. I just got back from Boulder too. I was in Boulder down there in Southern Southern Utah for, man, it was like five weeks or something. It was so awesome. Uh, I had, did bounce to LA for that event. I mean, the fall in Boulder, it's, there's nothing like it. And the aspen trees and the colors and that crisp temperature, but bright sunshine. Um, got to do some backpacking and some hiking. And uh, uh, the glitch mob came down, so we had some friends around. They were recording some good dinners. Um, 
I just, I feel very full from that space. And honestly, I wish I could, I could hop down there and like put that, that time period of October in Southern Utah in a little capsule and just have it go forever. (laughs) But the seasons continue as they do. And we go into the darkness and into the light in these motions of, from repose to excitement to challenges, continuing to compost. I mean, it's the point is to be on the journey, to surf what there is to surf and to wait sometimes for another wave and always just get back up, looking out to the horizon, not knowing what's next, but trusting that there's always something and we're always part of that ocean. Enough of that philosophizing for this point in time, but uh, I'm, I'm going to let us get right into this. This is very, very exciting. So this is the one and only Mr. John Hopkins. John, thank you so much for for doing this, man. I mean, we've been getting to know each other for, gosh, it might be, it's not a year. I think it was probably, actually, I don't really know. It was somewhere I feel like pandemic. it was May last year. Shit. Yeah. So it's not it's not a year then. Or is it a year? No, it's it is. It's year. August now. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's over a year. All right. It's over a year. We're old friends. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and yet we haven't met. Yeah, I know. There, I have actually a long list of people that I've collaborated with that I've only met virtually like this. It's, oh, really? I mean, not because I enjoy that, but that's just how <laughs> sometimes the cookie crumbles, you know? Sure. We're far apart. But I, I'm looking forward to crossing paths in your neck of the woods or, or here sometime soon. But uh, Yeah, likewise. But thank you for doing this. I really wanted to take a, the opportunity to dive into this new work of yours because I have so many questions just as a listener as I dove into that space. Um, Music for Psychedelic Therapy, this record, is, uh, I feel like, a bit different for you, but also it's just by the nature of its title is sort of a unique offering. And so there's something to unpack there. And I just wanted to start with, if you could tell us a bit about, uh, this is this is an official John Hopkins record, like it's a release for you, but what about this is different aside on the face of it, you know, what it's called and what it's for, or is it different for you, like this, this work from what yeah, you've done it, before? It's very different. And I think the main way in which it's different is that this is something I've only become aware of retrospectively, but I think all the other albums, and I'm not like doing them down for it, but they are all, they all had more of a, they had um, goals within the external world that I was trying to achieve, like built into them. And um, like, let's take Immunity, for example, which was the first mm-hmm. one that got wider attention. Um, like I wrote all of that, you know, with the same love and integrity that I try and apply to everything I write, but there was this fact, which was that it had to connect more because I'd done two solo albums and it hadn't really, they hadn't really connected to people. So I'd, and I'd done a lot of collaborations and productions which had been more successful and I'd done film scores and stuff. So I was like, I had a living, but I always thought I, I wanted to give it like one more try, yeah, you know, to, to make a, a solo record as a composer and just, just see if I can make that part of, part of the picture. And of course... Um, that one did that quite radically so that the other things took a back seat and that, you know, in a way it went to the other extreme. And um, mm. But there was something built into that process of like, I have to make this one work. So I didn't leave anything to chance. I, you know, I did my absolute best on all fronts, 
even so far as like making sure the titles weren't shit because the previous albums had some very very empty titles because I'm not uh, words are not my medium you know and for immunity I, I talked to a poet called Rick Holland and we had long conversations which he turned into freeform poetry and I chose the names out of that and you know right down to the artwork which was like microscopic photography of crystals forming um and you know, everything was just on a different level as much as I could make it. And then Singularity was like, okay, so I've got to this point, I have to go to this point. And again, it was all done with love and integrity, but it was there was a, a huge amount of pressure, I suppose. And they both took you a long time, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a pattern. I mean, I think um, I, I like to spend a long time on things, even if I'm not working the whole of that time. So like maybe the duration of... The whole process is two years, but in that time, I might be writing for a year. I mean, it's something like that. But um, with this one, yeah, anyway, just to, oh yeah, to finish what I was saying about Singularity, there was like a desire, I think, even though I wasn't thinking about it as consciously as I was writing it, there was a an intention to make big tracks that I could play in front of a lot of people because, you know, the, the show size in Immunity had moved from the first show in London, which was 600, to the to the one at the end, which was like ten thousand. That, wow! That is, that's the change in in numbers. So I was like, okay, so we're starting at this number, and then uh, Singularity ended with a show at Glastonbury to thirty five thousand people, um, which was what? on the BBC. Yeah, this is crazy. So <laughs> this was, and I guess on some level, I was aiming for that, whilst at the same time trying to still express myself truly. Um, but all you know, we've talked a bit about this privately. But like the the experience of touring those records was, as in any musician who tours that much will tell you, it's it, it kills the body. You know, it can be incredibly difficult to, of course, to play hundreds of shows all over the world with your sleep pattern all over the place and the pressure of having to be not just on form but like on peak form at, at random times of the night, particularly in the DJ set part of it. Um, so then, you know, pandemic comes along and, you know, it's, it, I really don't want to, like, attach the narrative to this album that it's a lockdown album. It's not. This is something that had started. We'll go back to the origins of it in a, in a minute. But, you know, this is something that was in existence, but I didn't know it was going to become an album. But suddenly I had all these months and um, I just, I was having a lot of personal upheaval, good things and bad things were happening. And obviously the world was doing what the world was doing. And everyone, you know, everyone was having their own kind of crises of different sizes and responses in different directions. And um, I just felt like this is the time to make a record with none of those intentions, to have absolutely no, no real, <laughs> nothing, no intention at all apart from honesty, like genuinely just to try and do that. And I thought I was doing that before and... Um, it, it just turns out that I wasn't so much. So this is like the most unguarded, most honest, most... It's totally, you know, not interested in calls, not interested in reviews, it's not interested in live shows. This is just my my absolute declaration of who I am and what I believe and what I want to hear in music without any of those fences or, or guards, I suppose. How much of that confidence to step into that vulnerable state, not just with your music, but with your career, came from revelations uh, from the inner space, whether it's psychedelic journeys themselves or meditation? 
Like, all like, of what, it. What, what, yeah, like, <laughs> tell me, was there a moment where you're yeah. like, I have to do this, you know, I'm just going to do yeah. it? Yeah, so the, the medicine that kind of seemed to, I think it's really difficult with me because I do a lot of different practices and it's quite hard to narrow down. I think quite often combinations of things are absolutely are yeah. fascinating. And for me, it's a mixture of holistic practices like transcendental meditation, which is which is my kind of foundation practice twice a day, every day for six years now. And then Kundalini Yoga, which I've been doing for 20 years. And then the more extreme end of that Wim Hof method breathing, which, you know, it takes me to this extraordinary energetic kind of peak and then and then there's the actual medicines and the ones that i've found over the years um in recent years particularly to be most safe and valuable for me have been mdma and ketamine in, in um different quantities and, and used in different ways but i think the particular epiphany that led to the titling of this record came from um, I'd, I'd had a night with some friends, the first in ages, because, you know, lockdown in London was only just ending, and I went sure. to uh, some, some of my best friends had a, if I had me around for a little dinner party, and we had a little MDMA afterwards, and um, it was wonderful, you know, it was a lovely warm circle of, of loved ones, and we had a good laugh, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like huge amounts or anything, but it was a sparkly and heartwarming thing, and it was the first time in a long time that I'd done anything like that. Hadn't done anything like that, really, the year before. Um, and when I got home, it was like 4am and I, I was still awake. I was still quite high, I guess. And I was just like, I'm going to look a little bit of ketamine and see what I put some music on. <laughs> and I, I just, on some sort of, um, following some strange intuition, I put on um, this album called Emerald. And this is by an artist called Elve, E-L-V-E. And I, if you have show notes for this or you want to, just yeah. this album needs to be heard. It's the most extraordinary record, and I don't think my music would have taken this direction without hearing this record. I've been a fan of it, and I've talked about it a lot in the last um, four years since I heard it first. Um, but I'm never going to stop talking about it. <laughs> so um, uh, it's it's like an immersive sound experience with a lot of field recording and a lot of um, very disintegrated. Um, elements that somehow seem to form a whole it's very abstract it doesn't have traditional melodic elements at all um but it just i heard it that night in that particular space and i mean it just i've i've heard that record on on dmt and on various other things but for something about that night or maybe it's just the way everything aligned i just i just had a, a sort of epiphany really which was that that I would need to connect the various pieces of music I've been writing, some of which were along these lines, um, into one body of work, and it would be called Music for Psychedelic Therapy, because the power of that experience was so intense, um, so totally beyond words. And, you know, sometimes I hear ketamine described as a neutral zone or a void and for me it's not it's, yeah, it's absolutely bursting with life and energy and yeah. and self-love and compassion and and the people in my life make appearances you know as if they are consciously choosing to that's very common um it's highly sacred experience highly spiritual and um so i returned from that with the with the title of the record and then i, I think at the next weekend i had a similar experience with some different pieces of music in which i 
one of which was a track called Weeping Birch by Dan Deacon, which is a truly extraordinary piece of music as well. Um, and the difference about that occasion was that I started bringing in the breathing techniques of the Wim Hof breathing um, whilst in the ketamine space. And I mean, <laughs> I, I, was, <laughs> I don't know if you ever tried anything like that. A but, little bit I have. It yeah, really takes yeah. things to another level. I mean, yeah, and as I've, I've done it with, with psilocybin and, and DMT and slow nose breathing is like my lifeline. But actual Wim Hof method breathing during ketamine was just like, what the fuck? It was like <laughs> bursting through the ceiling of the universe. And um, I, I reached that place, you know, I know you've been there where you get it, you get everything, you understand <laughs> briefly, just briefly, you understand everything and you're fully, fully 100% awake and tuned in. And and it was a heart space thing. It's like I'm 100% in here and 0% up here. And um, yeah, that kind of laid the foundation for this thing starting to form into one body of work. I would say those two events. Man, I, I've I've had similar experiences where you're you're listening. You have an experience with music in those spaces, and it's so powerful and salient. On like that's really why I do kind of everything I, I do with music now. And I, there are many times that I doubt it, that I'm like, I talk to musicians and friends and, and people on this show and otherwise, and they're like, a lot of musicians are like, I have no agenda with my music, you know, like almost secular, apolitical. I'm, I'm, but you know, it's deeply personal for them, but they're like, I'm just making it. You, you interpret it as you like, you do what you want with it. And I've often felt the opposite personally, where I like, I, I had these, these these feelings about what it could be or what I sh if I could just have the courage to say hey this is what I'm doing with it this is what you could do with it too and and maybe even that way it's a tool um, but how do you feel about that if someone were to say like they'd ask you like do you have an agenda with this particular album or not yeah that's a good question I think um, it turns out I do. Um, I'm not sure I was thinking about it when I was writing it, but you know, like there's always the the, the subconscious doing its thing. But um, the agenda is to, I suppose, do my little bit to to advance the conversation about psychedelic therapy. There's many things I want to try and do with it, but that's one of them. And you know, we've talked a little bit about this separately, but I think. Um, you know, there's this huge amount of news and breakthroughs and science going on around the subject and almost no one mentioning the music. And the music, as anyone who's had a yeah. deep experience yeah. with the psychedelic medicine, knows that the music is about half of it. <laughs> it's like the structure into or, which or you... Or more, yeah. Or I mean, more, it really, it really yeah. is. The, it can be literally become the space. Yeah, and I find, I find with ketamine in particular, and this album is the, the length of time that my particular ketamine journeys tend to take, um, I find that yeah, you you merge with it to such a degree that you flow as it and you flow through it and with it, and so that leaves you in this incredible position when you're writing it of like knowing that you're building a universe on a screen which you will then enter. So you're you know make it, and so of course you want to make it as incredible as possible, and and you also need to test it by re-entering it um, in that space sometimes. So I wanted to, um, I suppose, really, yeah, uh, name the album in a way, just, you know, this is what it is, but it's also an album of music and it, it doesn't require 
medicines. You can like it's definitely one for deep listening. It's not something you. I mean, maybe people will have it on the background. In fact, it's not really for me to to say sure. what what the limitations are of what it can do. But the way I hear it, it's like it's quite an emotionally intense thing. And um, you know, for me, obviously. Um, but I think yeah, there's an important topic that needs to be discussed. So I, I suppose it's like a little. Uh, conversation opener in a way. Yes, and I I couldn't agree more that it seems to be a bit of an afterthought afterthought in this burgeoning psychedelic wave that we're in mm. is the the experience itself. I could just call it the journey, the ceremony, and that well that element that element of ceremony and what a large role music plays to guide it. And you know that's how it's been done for millennia is music is the ceremony itself, whether it's the Akaros in the ayahuasca ceremonies that uh, they often define as what is actually calling forth the spirit mm. is the songs and the mm. words and the melodies of those songs. You look at a Shipibo, I have one in the house, the Shipibo uh, 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 embroidery tapestry. I have one as well, actually, yeah. Yeah, and I was told yeah. that the actual like geometry of the shapes is of the melodies. It's of the Amazing. songs. So it's a score. So, there you go. Oh my God. Yeah. It's sheet music. So, yeah. Uh, and you and you see this in other ceremonies as well from Lakota sweat lodges. And it's all about the songs uh, and how the lineage of those songs. So it is a very important element. I think there is this really interesting vanguard of like, what is, what is this modern musical language for us, for people who grew mm. up in the West, who are entering into these modern spaces that are getting commercialized, but also sometimes just people in their own homes. And in that way, did you, do you think of yourself or did you ever, when you were making this process with the recognition that you're like, I hate to say this, but I mean, you're a facilitator, but it's a form of like digital shamanism. I mean, it's a big role. Did you ever think like you're playing a very strong active hand in guiding people's journeys? Yeah, I, I think um, that's, I suppose, why I take it so, take the writing process so seriously. Now, I would never call myself a digital shaman, but I just because I don't, I, I feel like I don't have any education about the indigenous ways of absolutely holding the, the these work. Things, the but, work I meant is serving yeah. the role of a facilitator once you sort of put it out in the world. You know, yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's, I think when we talk about electronic music in particular and the ability of electronic music to have this particular synergy with. Let's just keep talking about ketamine because this is the you know that this was the thing, the guiding hand in this album so much. Um, it's really different. So I, yes, I, sometimes I listen to things that are acoustic and guitar based and have voices, and they're all extraordinary. But there's something about immersive, dimensional electronic music mm -hmm. that feels like a frontier. It's like there's something, and it has to be because the, that genre is reasonably new, and ketamine itself being used as a as an entheogen in a way is is also new so it feels like we're kind of in this amazing position to explore something that potentially could be incredibly powerful it's yeah. quite hard to measure exactly what it's doing but i've come out of experiences with so much clarity so much perspective and so much wonder and um so yeah i think like in the in the creative process with this one i just took that incredibly seriously as if i was you know, as if it, that was my role. And then, of course, it's up to people whether they trust in, in me to listen to it like that. 
Well, I want to talk about the nuts and bolts of making this because I'm very interested in that. But let's start more broadly with like, how did it differ from how you make other records? Like, I'm guessing that a lot of this comes, you have to open yourself up to that intuitive improvisational, like allow that larger thing to flow through as opposed to like Mm. just your discursive mind deciding, okay, it's going to have to have this 20 minutes in, it's going to need some more rhythm or it needs to go into a minor or whatever. Mm. What was that process like that maybe was different with this piece versus Well, it it, it was really kind of um, by removing any grid and any rhythm of any kind. So no tracks have any tempo. Um, nothing ever happens with regularity. Mm. Um, everything's always fluid. And um, I found that, and that wasn't a conscious decision, but yes, yeah, so I suppose to, to respond to what you're saying, the... I'm always open to that immediate flow of stuff, you know, that immediate improvisational beginning to a track. But if I'm making a something that's, that needs to be danceable or performable in a certain way, then at some point the rhythm comes into it. And for many people, they can compose the rhythm in that same kind of flow state. And for me, it's it's very, very technical. It's very, very... Uh, it can be very exhausting making kick drum centered music. You know, I don't dislike any of the stuff that I've done in that world, but it's just, it's definitely not what I felt like doing. So the removal of that framework and the removal of any rhythmic framework allowed for this, what I think of as like a different kind of rhythm to come in, which was the rhythm of things as they landed, you know. So there's a lot of field recordings on there. And rather than put them on the track and move them around and edit them, I just put them on, just let them sit how they were supposed to sit and sit how they were recorded. Any idea that came, drag it on almost at random and just listen to it with the knowledge that increased with every working day on this, that it would be right straight away. And this happened again and again and again. There were so many synchronicities where things just landed right and it happened with the sounds that came up and so like a one one example, right? I, I sometimes when I'm working later into the evening, I'll drink beer at the same time. It seems to unlock a couple of extra hours of energy and and take some of the work-like feel out of it. So I like really nice beers. And um, there was this one track that I was working on called uh, Love Flows Over Us in Prismatic Waves. Um, the titles in this record are not really supposed to be spoken aloud. I've just discovered it's more like to be read as a as a poem or something because really it's one whole track. But anyway, that was the the track I was working on, and I had this beer, and the, you know the track is in F, and for some reason I flicked the beer glass at this certain point, and it was an A, which is the third, you know, the the, the beautiful missing piece of the chord I had because I had like a yeah. yeah a major third, so I had like a. I had a fifth going and I had a G in there, which is kind of what you might call like a, a, a calming neutral chord. And this little flick was just the third, which completed the picture, but in a very subtle way. So I didn't want to like hammer the third in there. But you know, the third is the thing that sweetens everything and you, you need to use it sparingly. So um, rather than think about this for a second, I'd learned by this point, just put a mic on it immediately and record one pass and that'll be that. And it was, obviously straight away exactly right and then i tuned it down for when the chord changes um i didn't drink more beer to tune it i just <laughs> used a- used used ableton but that kind of thing happened um really th- throughout every track in different ways and i started to have such faith that 
remember reading this Rick Rubin quote. I won't get it exactly right, but it was something like when something, when seemingly random components join together to make something, or, or when they seem to make sense, something wants to exist. And yes. That's how, oh, that's that, so good. Yeah, there's so many great Rubin quotes out there. It's, um, it's our mutual friend Corey Allen posts them occasionally, and that's how that's how I saw that one. Um, <laughs> But yeah, something wants to exist, and I, I lived by that motto for the creation of this album. It's like this thing has... So so in a way, it, it became me serving the existence of this thing. And um, it was difficult not to get like a strange sensation that something... Yeah, just... Well, I, I didn't even try. I just went with that sensation. I thought, well, I'll deal... If this is delusional, I'll deal with it later. But right now, it feels like I'm a channel for something, and... I'm lucky to be that channel, but it isn't anything that I did. It's just the way I'm built and the time and all the things I've done in my life. But really, like, something is opened and this is, like, flooding through in a way that it's only ever... I've only ever had, like, trickles before. Do you think that'll inform your writing process and creation process in the future? It kind of depends what happens next. I mean, I love the idea of doing a volume two of this, um, but I want to see how it feels to make something this personal uh, a public thing. Um, and also you can't perform this live. So, you know, there is that. And there's a desire to occasionally perform, which this wouldn't really allow. So, um, Why do you think, think you can't? I mean, I, I definitely understand the challenges, but I've seen, I've only seen videos of you perform. You get quite creative in your ways that you perform electronic music. And I could see creative ways of doing this. Um, you'd have to reinvent it in a sense. I mean, it would be maybe, different. Maybe it's maybe it'd be better to say I have no plans to perform it, but not that okay, it's impossible. Fair enough, fair but I, right now, how I feel about it is that it's impossible because it um, is it's exactly what it's supposed to be. And I'm not saying that's a, a good thing or a bad thing. All I'm saying is that the intention, like the the purity of it, is exactly what what I what I set out to do, and therefore any changes any other versions any and a performance would obviously have to sound different from it otherwise what's the point um would be not it anymore <laughs> you know what about this though i mean what if the record exists as it as a tool as an experience as an album but then i man people would be so excited to say i want to drop into that kind of space with john hopkins live where you're just doing something different, but it's what the the glue that holds it together is what you're speaking about is your intention, the openness of you creating in the moment, which you've done before anyway. But it's sort of the lens you put on it, and it would be a completely different piece. You know, we just set you up with a series of instruments, some synths, and you just yeah. make you just make sound for two hours, and people lie down. Yeah, that's more appealing. Yeah, if we take it away from trying to trying to do that thing, um, you know, trying to make a yeah. But it could well be that, I mean, I'm so unbelievably close to this. Uh, it's starting to shift finally. You know, I finished, I think we mastered in May. Um, we're now in, well, we're, now we're talking, it's August. So um, for a while, I couldn't even talk about certain sections of it without becoming emotional because, you know, I, the the heavier tracks in it, the, hev the ones which carry more emotional weight uh, were written, were a, a great processing of, of loss and and various things that were going on in my life and in the greater society in the world so you know it was so 
it's so raw and open and as we as i start to talk about it you know this is only um it's right at the beginning of the process of leaving and learning how to talk about it i feel like that will become a little it will kind of heal over and it'll be a little easier for me to detach and talk about it and then maybe a stage after that will be okay maybe i start reorganizing it into something that could be performed but you know one of the things i always find hardest about the traditional album cycle is like you finish something you put everything into something you master it and then it seems like you get about five days off and then you have to start working out to play the fucking thing in front of people <laughs> like and that's the point at which your songs start to piss you off and yeah, yeah. that's not what i want with this it's like because this car as it stands this record is my actual soul entirely unvarnished right so i don't want to get bored of it i don't even listen to it right now and the next time i yeah. listen to it will probably be another month um but and i don't i just you know i need to feel i, I want to preserve that for as long as i can before eventually having heard it too many times well i appreciate you uh speaking about it now and i recognize i can feel the vulnerability in it and i i, I can tell you uh, as an outsider that's what we love about it you know, and that's what we love about this offering. And that's something we're really hungry for as a people. It's like that sort of exposure to the intimacy of like one human's experience as, as close as we can get to the center. And, and that's very present in there. And that's, that's needed. It's really needed uh, now more than ever because authenticity and that genuineness mm. is, is, it's like the gold, you know, it's the golden nectar of our time. So... Yeah, thank well, you it for just, doing that. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And I think, um, yeah, it, it was like, it, <laughs> I had this thought at some point when it became clear what this was forming into. It, it feels like the time for all the bullshit is is done, you know. There's yeah. there's no more excuses, <laughs> just <laughs> like honesty, yeah, true honesty and vulnerability is really the only answer. All hands on deck. And exactly. what's needed is honesty. It's like yeah. truth. It's the old yeah. tell the truth. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's really incredible, man. I mean, I I could really, man, yeah, I could totally see it just becoming a live experience that is um, that sort of honesty and truth in the live space. I mean, I recently, one of my heroes is Keith Jarrett, who, mm. uh, you know, is famous for sitting down at a piano and just going for it and seeing what happens and comes out. And uh, I, I'm, I don't have the even close to the virtuosity of his technique, but that spirit of it is something that's been really inspiring to me. And when I play in a quote unquote ceremony space, like actually guiding people in medicine, which is how I started this whole thing right. 12 years ago, it's 100% improvised because it just doesn't work if I walk in there with a plan where mm. I think I'm performing. It's got to be just all from the heart and it's just... I don't know. It's going to take its time. And I feel safe in that environment because people of the medicine, they're patient. They're just in it. We're all just there for a long period of time in the dark. So it feels okay. And that is what my early records actually were. And it felt incredibly vulnerable to share that because I thought like the world's going to judge this. They're going to be bored, yeah. all this stuff. But it ended up being fine. And it just helped me to slowly lean into it. And I can feel even all these years later, I still would love to step into the public space, like full, just normal, quote unquote, performance ticket holders that theoretically are sober and do that. And, but I still, you know, have my own fears about 
being judged or it's like mm-hmm. people want this or that or to be entertained as if that's not entertaining on some level. But when I mm-hmm. say it to you, I know that's what I'd love to see. I mean, I'd love to see you do your fully rehearsed thing too, for sure. But I'm like, wow, I would be watching a moment in time where we're just there together and anything could happen or not happen. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because um, completely different tour, but like the, the tour that I was on when the pandemic first hit, which was called Polarity, which involved um, like me on a grand piano opening the show and then mm. other players joining. So there was a guitarist, Leo Abrahams, and violinist Emma Smith. And, and um, so like we would, there were sections in the show and they increased. We got, I think we got seven shows in out of the 18 before we had to cancel or before all the venues were shut, um, which was an insane experience um, to live through. But um, the show was really getting freer and freer. And I realized that, I mean, I grew up improvising. Improvising on piano was my first thing. That's what I learned. That's what I taught myself before I had any piano lessons. And I was jazz or just. No, it was never really, really jazz. It was, um, it's quite hard to describe it. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised if you were to hear it. Like, it sounds like me. It's just, it, it just got a bit more dissonant and a bit more daring in the chord structures because you know my albums the recent albums well no all the all the released albums you know the, the there's no kind of there's some unusual chord sequences but the chords themselves are not like they're not they haven't got like crazy clusters of notes and they're not particularly complex but i started to find that when i was at school i did a bit of jazz improvising but i started to find in this tour that i was getting more and more open to unusual harmonies and more and more daring and by the end of it i was doing i think about 15 20 minutes where i would at the beginning of the show where i just walk on with no idea what my first note was going to be and how'd that feel it was incredible it was liberating because that's where i started and i I, kind of hidden that because i thought it'd be scary but in a way it's less scary because um I did the same thing at Sydney Opera House. In fact, that was the first time I did it. It was like, this is a test. I had this this show in Sydney and it's like, I'm going to do 20 minutes on the piano to start and then I'm going to walk over to the electronic stuff and just do what was currently my rehearsed set, which was all really upbeat. So it was like two shows in a way. That's cool. But it felt amazing. And um, so I thought, okay, I'll build the London, I'll build the uh, UK Europe tour around this um, and be more confident with it and have lots of sections like that and... It just became yeah because the thing that makes me most nervous is the technology crapping out because me oh my god me too that's what happens I, mean, I don't even that, want that, to talk about it because I, I know get scared it's talking awful. about it it's a horrible feeling and you know the show I mentioned at Glastonbury um, to all those people there was no proper backup system because we were on tour and couldn't like bring double of everything you know it was just it, it really should have done to be honest but because the show is is quite freeform you can't just have a a tape running in the background you know there, it, basically it is my responsibility to sort that out but generally it's it's if you're carrying you know there's only a certain amount of stuff that a small crew can carry around yeah i can't i'm not gonna make excuses about it because obviously you know in, in 200 shows i probably had five or six where it's just gone silent at some point and, and crowds are actually very cool with it most of the time as long as you can get it going again but that is my fear it's not because i know how to do the rest i know how to play the music and i know how to but sitting at the piano nothing can go wrong you can just you just play and that's what i've been doing for 30 
six years or something, 38 years. Yeah, I, I have some friends who tour and they ha- they literally have like two systems off stage and you hit a button and it just goes to the other one kind of thing. Yeah. And I saw I a band. That, yeah, yeah I, I wish I had that. Um, I just don't have the space for all that kind of gear right now. Well, that's it. It's the same. That's the same with our crew. We had like seven or eight people and a lot of lights and a lot of other stuff and mm. uh, you know and the setup to, to duplicate everything and and also to work it into the things i have on stage i mean yeah it's you could complicated have the yeah how do you have your hardware controllers duplicating and your chaos pads which i use which that's audio only so you you it, i couldn't it, do that yeah i mean it was too complicated and the only way you heavy. could really do that is to have like literally a whole separate setup off stage it's like on a yeah. platform that wheels which would be ridiculous <laughs> yeah like, i think push I'd probably, this one off yeah anyway so that's that's where the real fear i think um comes from about performing and generally it's fine ableton itself is incredibly stable it, it, if there's a problem it would be with the interface or the power or something you know it's it's happened and as long as you can get it going again if anything sometimes crowds get more more hyped up by the drama of the fact that it well they're like it's real yeah or something's happening it's a very real moment i mean it's a very very powerful moment uh for everyone involved in but i've even noticed the feeling like when i'm playing this is I've never even said this before, but like sometimes when things feel really in a flow and then your mind notices that and the audience is there and then there's a, there's a voice that comes in that's sort of like mm. the critical, like, well, what if the, what if the power mm. goes out or what mm. if, is the computer this? And I'm like, and I, it's the meditation or actually the moments from psychedelic spaces that allow me to sort of love that thought and just be like, it's okay, back into it, you know, back mm. into it. It's just this constant sort of like, Clenching and releasing. Yeah, you know, yeah, clench, yeah. The tension that's, of the moment. That's life, clenching and releasing. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> it's, unpleasant. It is life. That, but that reminded me of something. Um, so when I was a teenager, I briefly, I was at the Royal College of Music on the, just on the Saturdays, which they, you know, they had like a junior department. And I had piano lessons with a really high-level piano teacher called Emily Jeffrey, who was incredible and changed my life because she got me into proper classical piano training and she got my finger technique up to an incredible level that I wouldn't have had a chance or, or been inspired to do and I, I found it really hard at first and wasn't that engaged but she managed to get me fully inspired and the results of that are that I can when I'm in practice I can access that again so I can be quite virtuosic and that was really useful on the polarity tour but re- briefly I thought okay maybe I'll be a classical pianist and that'll be my job Wow, really? When when I was a teenager, yeah. And then I had one concert, which changed my mind forever. Um, I won this competition at the Royal College of Music, which meant, and the prize of it was that you played a concerto with the orchestra to an audience in in this grand concert hall. That to me didn't really feel like a prize so much as a horrific, (laughs) unbelievable (laughs) punishment. But I've never felt pressure like that in my life. And, you know, it went really well, um, in terms of how it was received, but my experience of it was was hellish. And there was, you know, I played Ravel's Piano Concerto in G, which is incredibly technically complicated and utterly beautiful. But there was a point, which I'll never forget. Bear in mind, there's no sheet music. You've learned it all by this point. You've been uh-huh. playing it for months. There's this point where I was just like looking down at my hands and and they were doing all this shit. And I was like, just Uh-oh. for a second, just for a second, that very same voice you yeah. just talked about, it came in and it said, what are they doing? 
what is happening here? What are the yeah. thing, what are your fingers doing? It's like, and it's like, but rather than have any, you know, being a 16 year old with no experience of, you know, what, what that voice is, no understanding of how that voice can be bypassed or transcended. Um, I just froze. I mean, I didn't freeze. Like somehow the fingers kept going, but I managed to freeze that part of my brain out of sheer necessity until I got to the end. But, you know, it was such an awful experience that I then and there essentially decided that I will never do that as a job. And um, it's not, you know, also it, it wasn't really creative enough to play other people's music. But yeah, that, that voice is terrifying. Was, was that okay. an element of it though, the fact that it was someone else's music that made it harder or scarier? Whereas... Because you kind of yeah. did continue with the job, but you changed the way you did it. Yeah. So if you're improvising and it's yours, there is no wrong anyway. And <laughs> because I play without thinking of, I play by ear and without thinking of scales or anything like that. So if if some weird notes creep in, you can weave them in. You know, you know. Principally, originally, I'm a piano player, so um, I feel increasingly comfortable just doing that. But it's as soon as you bring in all the other elements and and that this. And people and other humans as well, you know, things get much more complicated. Yeah, yeah. That's the thing with playing solo versus having other members. It definitely changes the dynamic of mm. what you play in the moment and so forth and what's planned and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you um, this album is largely electronic elements. I hear a lot of analog synthesizer. I'm guessing, mm -hmm. is it a lot of that Moog One in there? Yeah, Moog One, um, MS Twenty, um, called Trinity, tiny bit maybe, but most of it is. There's this plugin called uh, Unicorder, which Nils from helped make, which is a an amazing kind of. It does a lot like his felt piano type sound thing. Yeah, I've used very, it very convincingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't use the sounds in a normal way, but um, because you know you can just play a a piece that sounds like a Nils Fromm piece. <laughs> not as good, but you can just, you know, it allows you to step into that world very easily. And I'm not interested in doing that because he's doing that and lots of people are doing that. But, um, you know, he's a singular genius. I want to point that out. But Yeah, I, I I'm wanna... a huge Nils Fromm fan. Yeah. And he came very close to doing a remix on the Ramdas album to the oh, point wow. where we were sending stems and it was into it. I was just like over the moon. But yeah. He disappeared. <laughs> yeah, he's a busy man. Nils, we love you. But, uh, yeah, yeah, he's incredible. But anyway, so he made this plugin which allows anyone to play that felt piano sound, basically, yeah. which is incredible. Yeah, it's great. Um, but I didn't want to do, I mean, I've also got a piano with a felt thing on it, so if I want to do that, I will, you know, you can see it. So yeah, yeah. And there's my, there's the felt right <laughs> yeah. there. Yeah. It's a beautiful sound. And um, But with this plugin, I found that it was a great source for, other sounds with abstracting that. So it's like taking that as a source sound because I love to take um, real instruments and put them through the really any any processing that... Uh, that I need to interrupt you. My friend Justin Beretta, who is in the Glitch yeah, Mob... Yeah, we've been in touch with him, yeah, yeah. He describes you, he says, John takes sounds and puts them through the Hopkins Destructo machine and then they <laughs> become whatever it is and no one can replicate it. And I was like, yes, the, the John Hopkins I mean, Destructo machine. All it is is just a <laughs> lot of processing. It just goes through chain after chain and, and you know, and I save the chains and then I'll again trusting in the synchronicity of it all and the desire of it all to become something i might i might put in a random chain of things on something that was supposed to be doing something completely different and then suddenly a new a new thing is born out of that but what what kind but, of things are you doing i mean a lot of like octaves pitching 
verbs. There's, there's, well, I mean, Ableton is so infinite. I mean, I, AltiVerb is probably one of the most creative tools um, because I'm obsessed with dimensional space within music, with stereo music, and, and increasingly within spatial audio, which I'm getting into. Um, so AltiVerb, all the, all the um, sound toys stuff, Echo Boy obviously is incredible, mm -hmm. but these things are instruments in their own right. That's how I view them. So like you've got your sound. That's great, whatever it is, say it's, say it's a, a normal piano. And then you put all these effects on it and then you mute the dry and you just and then you maybe resample that in Ableton and make a new instrument out of that, which you play on your keyboard and then you put that through another chain until it's just really not in any way what it was. But flowing freely down whatever whatever sort of calls to me, whatever extra layer of processing calls to me. Um so I never use sends or returns. Every single sound has its entire, completely unique um, way of being processed. So you would never use one reverb for several things, for example. Um, and I using get the processor heavy too. Do you have to end up sort of bouncing into stems so you can keep going? This this laptop that we're talking on now is actually what I've been using, and it's pretty seems to be pretty fast. I mean, that, yeah, there'll become a point where if you use a lot of tape simulation like there's a sound um on the album which uses i'm not joking about 25 instances of a tape simulator in a row 25 um, i think it was about 25 and it that's was a, a slate, hell of a laptop it, yeah. it was a slate plug well no that's the thing it couldn't <laughs> handle that <laughs> so, but what i found there was this slate it's called slate tape emulator or something i can't remember what it's called but yeah I've it's got quite that. a new yeah, yeah and it's very processor heavy even to use one but it's very very subtle and I think the idea is you put one on every track or something and maybe, I don't know, I haven't read about it, but I'm interested in, I mean, the fact is on Ableton, you can just click on a plugin and Apple D and it duplicates it. So I thought, oh, okay, I put four on. It's too easy. It started, yeah. It started, yeah, it's incredibly easy. All, all, this stuff, all this stuff is just playing around. But um, the, the, trick that, the, the trick is to judge whether it's good or not. And that's what I think probably what takes years of doing it. But you can certainly get things done very, very quickly. Um, so I noticed that like with four instances of that, there was a little tape wobble that was becoming a bit more apparent. I was like, that's what I was looking for. So I selected all of those and then duplicated the four to eight and then eight to 16. And it started slowing down a lot, but it got more and more interesting. It was like, it started sounding incredible. And, um, so I realized, okay, so I'll bounce everything else and, so nothing else is using any processing and I'll get this part right and then I'll freeze this part and then, you know, bring that back into another session. So sometimes I'll work across multiple sessions in order to preserve um, that. But yeah, uh, most of them, yeah, with this laptop, which is uh, about a year old or a year and a half old, um, it can deal with it. And I've also just got a new actual desktop Mac, which I haven't yet wired in. So I think that will probably allow even more. You can now you can do like a hundred tape plugins and just keep going, man. Just see well, how, far down, how yeah. far down the rabbit hole go. Yeah. But it, you know, it's interesting to me to just try things that these things were not built to do that. And right. but then the realm of electronic music making is completely open and completely free. And you can, as long as it sounds good, it doesn't matter what you do or how well you understand what you're doing. I don't even try and understand what some of the plugins are actually doing to the sound. It doesn't interest me, but the sound of it interests me. And obviously mixing is a big part of this, and that's I'm more technical in mixing. But when it comes to creating sounds, just follow a train of thought. That's really... Oh, it's so that's inspiring. 
So, but when you were doing the music for psychedelic therapy and you said it was largely from this intuitive space, but you're using electronic synths, were you just doing that in real time? Like like that opening track, it's fantastic. And you've got that bass mm-hmm. sub that's sort of sliding. Mm-hmm. Was that just you? Because there's different layers there going on, I assume. So yeah, you, so it's like building a... I think of it as like building a little, building a room or building a universe or whatever, building yeah. that space that you're going to enter into. So there's obviously the first part that comes first. And for me, um, this is there's something very mysterious about the way that track existed or came to exist because for me, I always have to be sitting in this room before I have ideas. I don't start the idea. A track doesn't occur to me when I'm walking around. But I'm aware that my brain is taking everything in. And like when I get into the studio, um, something will come out, you know, if I'm feeling creative. But just this one time I was um, I was walking around uh, the area where I live and it was like the middle of winter and there weren't, there's no one really around because everyone was kind of in their houses and um, lockdown and all that stuff. And I was like out of nowhere, this idea for those ascending notes at the start just appeared. And... Like I knew what note they were going to start on and I knew that they would rise and rise and rise and there'd be one here and there'd be another one that comes up. And so it's like that idea just appeared and that, yeah, honestly, it's the first and only time that's ever happened to me. And at the same time as I was walking, um, I was like in the middle of a text conversation with my friend who um, lives in Devon and records under the name Seven Rays and he's on several several of these tracks. Um, He's got, uh, a kind of small holding farm and he's got a little solar powered studio it's not even that little it's actually pretty big it's a kind of beautiful room with maybe 15 different synths and he's kind of collected a lot of strange old mm. synths and um i don't want to talk about the exact one it is because there's something mysterious about not mentioning it but he dove into this he he just for some reason like not having made music for years you know primarily farming and raising his family he just had become possessed by delving into this particular synth and um in fact i'll talk about what it is i don't know why i'm trying to be mysterious it was this, this synth called a fismo in sonic fismo which is from the mid 90s um it's so impenetrable it's got this tiny little screen like that and um <laughs> uh, you try and save your sounds you'll lose your sound you know you have to be recording in audio at all times and he and he it makes these extraordinary generative tones and he became obsessed with just creating loads and loads and loads of them. And he'd sent me, he was just sending me streams of them. And neither of us knew why. <laughs> we just knew that he was following something good. We didn't know we were working together at this point. He was just doing it and sharing it. And then these notes were rising in my head and I got to the studio and I put, there was one particular one. It was test, uh, FISMO test number 11. I remember it very clearly. I just dragged it. I dragged it into the track, which was, you know, with these ascending notes. And obviously it fit perfectly first time and and that's the basis of the track and then layer after layer of that the rest of it wrote itself based on how those elements sounded but the fact that he happened to be doing that at that exact time at which that idea appeared in my head is that's awesome. what, this this yeah. album was this album was full of things like that you know it would just so i wasn't even surprised by the end of it well sit around the fire is is like that too i would imagine too. Yeah. you know it's like uh had a very much synchronistic element of coming into being. Oh, my dog. Hi, uh. Uh, this is this this dog is with me part time, and uh, she's she's like twelve. Going, she's like a she's like a seventy five year old uh, 
grandma who's just very like particular about what she likes. Right. <laughs> but that the first track that I was curious though, it definitely feels to me intentional for the role it plays in the album. Like as soon as that ding and then it yeah. starts to you're like, whoa, we're gonna go somewhere <laughs> together. Yeah. I mean, so it seems like did you create it and then decide this should be first, or do you thought to yourself it needs to start with sort of like a strong entrance? Well the to- creation of that one was so it's such a memorable moment because it, I mean, I spend a lot of time over music as, as we talked about, but I write the basis of things very quickly. And this one really took two and a half, three days to form um, structurally. Mm. And I, you know, finesse the sound and mixed, mixing was very complex with that to make everything sit right. But that just appeared with such clarity and with such speed. Um, you know, that's why it's called Welcome. It was just to me, it was just that could that could go nowhere else on the record. The trouble was working out yeah. how to make it fit into other things that came later, and it took um, its discovering that, of course, it goes into Ecuador, and it was like you know, making that work energetically was was a fun challenge. But because um, you could almost go from that into something energetic, and maybe it will be the good start of a DJ set or something. If I'm, yeah, it could go a lot elements. of different directions from there. Exactly. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. But but friends of mine who've had psychedelic experiences in their life, um, particularly or strong ones, that when they hear that, when they heard that for the first time sober, they were just like they described this kind of st- almost like a stomach lurching, like yep, what? Wait a minute, yeah, where, <laughs> yeah, where are we going? Oh yeah. God, what have I done? Yeah, yeah, and even if you you haven't done anything, and and people who haven't had that experience, I honestly do think that one that track may be slightly unclear as to what it's what it's about and i played it to my mom and she was just like doesn't really she loves the album but she doesn't connect to that track and i don't i think that one is coming very very clearly from um the dmt space for me that Uh that's where uh that's that's falling off a cliff feeling yeah that's where it's coming from and and you know of course i'm not aware of that when i'm writing but listening to it um now like yeah (laughs) it's it's like Whoa, um, and a, you know a, a friend of mine, Sharif, who actually helps helps me mix everything. Um, he told me, you know, before he went in to mix this album, um, we do we kind of mix things in stages. So he, I do a layer, and he does a layer, and then I come in and finish it off, and he'll do extra little bits. We've got a very kind of organic process that we do together. But before mixing it, he wanted to listen to the whole thing um, as, as a mushroom journey to really add. Mm. what he found to it and mm. he was he, he was like he took quite a high dose and then you know as he was starting to hit its peak he hit play and he'd, he'd had various interesting visuals going on and he had a fun time with his cats and it was all kind of like you know we're tripping type stuff and then he said as soon as that came in like ridiculous amounts of rainbows just burst <laughs> out of every surface and it was like what i haven't done anything like that to that track um i've only tried it with ketamine and it's it's it certainly does the job but um i yeah god knows what will happen with with other medicines it's interesting well speaking of do you have time to talk a little bit about the ramdas track i want to be oh we, we must i mean okay yeah. yeah so i um where do i start <laughs> there's so much to say i've had a few powerful experiences probably five or six and it makes it sound like i do a lot of uh, substances and I actually don't. I really don't. No, not actually. Weirdly, yeah, I think I've done. I've worked with mushrooms like maybe once in the past few years, and then. But I feel like I'm working with it every day. It's just it just mm. informs my life. It's like some of the lessons I've learned, and and I find I'm talking about it all the time, but I don't even mm. imbibe with it that much. And that's interesting. 
But my partner is a ketamine therapist. I do it more than that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But ketamine came into my life more recently because my partner's in this uh, totally legal above board therapy situation. So I was Mm -hmm. going in to work on it. And um, I was working on a record that was from uh, these improvised mushroom ceremony spaces where I I microdose, but uh, I thought it was a mushroom record and maybe it still is. And that's where it's from. But I I found myself testing it in her ketamine with her patients Mm -hmm. and with myself. And the same simultaneously, um, we, we were working on the sit around the fire, and you were sending me some of those early mixes that you created, and so I was, I would play it in the set. We just drop it in, and I and it would just blow me away because amazing. It really felt like Ramdas, like it's amazing on it's just listening to it, but when you're in that space, it's like he is the space. Mm. speaking to you like you're he's so perfectly and the music is so perfectly brings you into that space of like aha about what's really going on you know and, mm. I, and this, I, I, the beauty how many times tears would come through me when i would think mm. about this imagery of like truly like all we're doing forever is is just essentially witnessing one another and sitting around a fire and that imagery mm. of of just carrying each other through this experience for the sake of the experience. It, it was so beautiful. So I want to thank you for that, but just tell you like, I, I would be nervous to tell you on text because I didn't want to be that guy's like, oh my God, I had this, but I just try to be like, look, man, it was, I had a powerful experience mm. <laughs> to say the least, you know, last night listening to this song and it's, it just feels like profound medicine that's, I think I told you once it's going to save a life. And what I meant, like quite literally, I know there'll be at least one, if not thousands, but there'll Mm. be one person. I know it. That's going to be on the brink of something. They will hear that and it'll be enough hope for them to continue on the next day. And that alone is so honorable, you know, no matter what happens with that music. Yeah. It's an incredible thought. Um, I've had, messages over the years of that severity from people um you know and it's that's when i feel luckiest that and most grateful really that that i have this purpose you know for, for like it's just it's it's like i would do this anyway even if no one listens <laughs> but it's amazing that they yeah. listen and it's amazing that some people are open to being helped in that way and um yeah i mean obviously the dream of this record is that it will do that on deeper levels than ever and um but i want to thank you for getting in touch originally and asking uh, and asking me to work on that and giving me the opportunity to have a ram das talk to work over and also your beautiful vocals which were the musical trigger you know that's what where the accompaniment started from that and then putting him in there and feeling that you know that was sometimes making the tracks that have turned out well, like I have this track called Open Eye Signal, which was like my breakthrough techno track. It's like came out 2013. That was such a long and difficult process. Like I knew I was on something. I knew the riff was great, but like the technical side of bringing that into being was literally months, you know, mm. literally months to make it sound effortless was like, it was weeks and weeks and weeks of the same riff going round and round and round. This was the exact opposite. This was, it's not a hugely technically complex track. It's, all about feeling it's all feeling and it's all love and it's all his words guiding everything and having his words in my headphones and improvising the piano over it and letting the two letting the the instrument of his voice and your vocals and my piano play off each other 
and, and not having to move or edit anything. It was like wherever your vocals landed, that was where they were supposed to land, wherever the piano landed. That's crazy. Yeah, all of that stuff. You know, I mean, minor changes only. Sometimes it's just a bit more space here and there, but it was like, this is nothing. And it was done, it was done so quickly. There's obviously some time into making sure the mix was right and making sure his voice sounded present and not too bright. And the, but the, you yeah, know, we yeah. Were talking, we were talking about this the other day, like the, just the, the the particular quality of the tape machine in the seventies that imbues this for me imbues this kind of immortality to the words because it it was never new it was it feels like it was never new you know it certainly isn't new now it's coming from a different time to an, and as a, a group of people at, who are listening to that talk and we don't know who any of them are many of them are will be alive and maybe some of them will hear this and they'll remember it I don't know but it's it's it feels like this extraordinary opportunity to, through modern technology, get those words out there again yeah. to a new generation as well. Absolutely. Let me shut this door. Yeah, it's... A talk from 1975, so mm. it's a long time ago, but he's saying stuff that's so universal. And you're right, it's not necessarily new what he's saying, it's how he's saying it. And it's the feeling that's conveyed. He's in a very special place. It's not intellectual. It's all just beautiful, open. It's just all heart. Mm. And and so I think that's what's coming through um, on the music that you were playing and hopefully in the vocals that are there. Because you had asked me to start something, and I'll be honest with you, that was something I, I tried not to think about too hard because it's like, you know, I've been a fan of you for a long time, man. So it's like, <laughs> when you're like, hey, send me a song, I, the last thing I want to do is like, oh my God, I could spend a year on this. But I'm like, just to send something, just make it a first draft and don't worry about it too much. Knowing that you'll mess, I knew the destructo machine. I was like, and then let you just destruct <laughs> it and do whatever. Let it be a, yeah. a, just a, a match to a fire. So it was just really wonderful that that could then. Because I remember when you went into the studio, you said it's kind of like one big session. You're like, I just had this amazing experience where it just all mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always a great sign or it's a great feeling. I know that feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. I think it, it was great that you were open to doing that because I love, I mean, in collaborations, I always ask for a starting point. It doesn't really matter how finished it is. As long as the person I'm working with is happy for it to be destroyed. And yeah, rebuilt. exactly, exactly. But, like the, but the point is the seed was there, like beautifully there, like the vocals were it. And it was it was just a case, like I just putting them, I think I did, I remember like having the session up and soloing them and before I even listened to them on their own, just put them into one of these chains that I have ready already oh. and it's like so there's altiverbs definitely in there there's a few other reverbs um but it just straight away is like yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> and at that yeah. time you didn't have this this record wasn't really a record you didn't know it might just be a, a single i think we were thinking we just put it out potentially as a way to celebrate yeah. just more Ram yeah. Das. that's it and um 
I think the idea came a bit later um, that it would that it would close this record. I mean, I had written the Tyos Caves piece at this point, right? Um, which I've talked about in, in online and stuff. But that you know that's been available for a while on through a paywall on the website tyos.org, T-A-Y-O-S dot org. If anyone wants to go and listen in advance of the album release, um, that was in, that was twenty minutes of stuff that was written and that was born in rainforest in 2018, and so that was the true seed of this album but again i didn't see that as something that would necessarily be on an album either and then mm. and then it was really from yes yeah, so around the fire appeared and then i think it was really from january where i just went through a lot of stuff in my life and then just channeled and this is when i sort of turned into this bizarre beer drinking shamanic channel <laughs> <laughs> where uh it's like four months of you know trance state music just started appearing from and then it was like okay Welcome is the beginning, Tyos is the middle, sit around the fire is the end, everything in between has just appeared. And, you know, that's kind of it, really. Because your singing bowl piece was before this. And I'm curious, like, coming yeah. from, like, someone who makes such, like, intense, beautiful techno music, like that that end of the spectrum, and then in the same artist releases the singing bowl piece. I mean, you're speaking my language because I'm all over the, mm. myself. It's like I do yeah. all sorts of things. But it's like, mm. is there a part of you that was, like, holding back or nervous about taking that shift this is your career too and your job or you're just like no this feels very clear to me that uh it doesn't matter like what niche it's going to fill how i perform yeah. it what the fans think i just this is what i need to do yeah I, I i've never been so certain about anything and i'm realizing that as i talk about as i start to finally talk about this having kept it to myself for ages i mean of course there's all the practicalities um but i think that the yeah, the practicalities of, of, of like changing the direction of what you're doing. But I have always made solo piano pieces. They've yeah, I don't think been... it's a departure. Um, yeah, yeah. there are ambient pieces out there, but it's true that the focus tracks in the last 10 years have all been big rhythmic entities. And um, But you can't keep doing the same thing forever. And, and I really was done with that. And I will go back to doing... I'm definitely not done with rhythm. I'm fascinated still how to bring in um, maybe this more digital shamanic element into um back into a more more danceable area because i think that could be really powerful for people on the dance floor but but really yeah i think i've never felt more sure about anything to the point where if it's you know i, I don't expect amazing reviews i think you kind of have to listen to this quite a lot of times in a certain way to to hear it properly i'm not really expecting anything at all i just need it just needs to exist and it does and People can do. Yeah. Well, the review, the reviews you're going to get essentially are the people who do this for the journeys, and because of the title, this happened for me when I did music for mushrooms. Like it, mm. it helps people. It's an invitation. Yeah. Like if you'd called this something else, it actually would have done a disservice to what it really is. Because yeah. of the title, it, it will be used by people in ketamine therapy clinics. The it dream, will be used yeah. by individuals all over the world for gen for a long time. And because of that, they will then enter into some incredibly profound states that the music will help usher them into and sort of guide them into these spaces. And that alone um, is doing such a service to the movement of <laughs> humanity trying not to kill themselves, <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just to help people. Uh, I got to commend you for that because knowing from my own experience, that takes a lot of bravery to say, you could have called this album anything. And yeah, you, but I, yeah, I know what you mean. It's just, but that's when it comes back to that point, really, about now is not the time. 
well that's 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 what i'm commending yeah. it's like yeah, i yeah, totally yeah. agree with you it's like a lot of people would be like I'm, I'm sure there's record labels or pr people i've I, I was, I've been working on a book and this is a side note, but I mm. sent it to an agent and the, this agent didn't get it. And the first thing they said to me is like, I think this would work if we took the drug stuff out. And uh, I was <laughs> okay. like, oh, the drug stuff. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was like, some people, there's still people out there generationally, mostly who think sure, like, sure. oh, you're making a big mistake or don't, you yeah. don't want to talk about that. Or it's like, and I think that, that it's the tables have turned so much in the last year that it's sort of now it's a moot yeah. point. But Even um, in the last year. But it's interesting because my Singularity album, um, I did go out and talk about much. I mean, it has a, it has a, I can't remember now if it's a psilocybin or a DMT molecule in the stars on the front cover. And I, I mean, that's reasonably hidden, but not that hidden if you know what you're looking for. And I did talk in the press quite a lot about how, the track Luminous Beings came from a psilocybin experience in the desert. And I've, I met no resistance, really, because I think, you know, I'm an indie artist. A musician, not, not, too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, musician. I'm not, not mainstream, never going to have. It's not like I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not going to pick a band, but just some, some huge act. It's just, it would be very, very much more dangerous for that. But people that are paying attention to what I'm doing are, are generally seem to be inclined that way. Anyway, or at least open to having, you know, what we all want to do here is have an adult conversation about some medicines that exist. That's really, sure. you know, and we need musical frameworks for these. So that's really what's most important, you know, and it, I'd, I'd be surprised if anyone who hears, is this going to be, you know, it's in my head, it's like, it's the most experimental thing I've done. It, who knows, of course, where the round dust track could, could potentially reach a lot of people because the words of, alone make it very yeah. accessible. And you know, there's ideas there, and it has. It's. I mean, it's. Be you did beautiful work there. Um, just, just a couple more questions, and then I'll I'll let you get on with your your beer drinking evening there, um, and your day. Not drinking this evening, actually. Ah, <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'll have a beer. Yeah, good. Uh, <laughs> um, your voice. There's a moment in mm. the record where, way in the background, oh, there's someone yeah. humming, and mm -hmm. it was. It the couple times I've journeyed to the record, that is my favorite moment for some reason. Mm. Something about it feels uh, like I'm. A, I don't even know how to describe it. It's about it's childlike. It's it, it just takes me somewhere, and it's the way. There's so many elements in this record that are like you kind of have to reach for them with your ear, mm. like they're in they're back there. It's mm. not just given to me, and I'm like, so I have to kind of investigate with curiosity. Like, what is that? You know, is, and then I asked you. I said, "Is that you singing?" And you said, "Yes." And I was like, <laughs> "Well, you have a nice voice. Like, why is is this sort of uh, hidden in general? Do you sing often, or how, when does this come into your music? And tell me about that moment and what that serves. And it's the only time I hear it in there." Yeah, so, I mean, it's interesting. I have been singing on my stuff for a long time, but I tend to do it, like, to mention that track, Open My Signal, there's this kind of choral-ish sound in there. That's my voice layered up many times, and then there's a lot Beautiful. of process. Yeah, there's a lot of processing on it in that. What I don't do is leave it unprocessed in this way. So this has just got a little bit of reverb placement, but otherwise it's untouched. Um, <clears throat> so the way it happened was, again, all about, trusting that there's a purpose in, in this and that this is, this wants to exist in a certain way. I was finishing this end or just working on the end section of the track where that appears. And um, I mean, I've divided them into separate chapters now, but really it's, you know, somewhere in the second half, you could, you could say yeah. it is. Um, and 
it's been quite cosmic for quite a while. There's been like a 10-minute section of really quite crazy harmonics and very electronic-based sounds, which, you know, when you're within the medicine, you kind of, for me, that's very, like, galactic and very cosmic and very highly, highly not to do with Earth in particular. You know, it's very out there. And as it came to an end, that section, I was like, I, my, what I'm craving here is something earthbound, something completely grounded. And my normal go-to is to, you know, is, is, is the piano, <laughs> to go over there and sure. just simple, simple piano chords at this point would be nice. But I was like, wait, but I always do that. And sit around the fire's coming on in like another 10 minutes or something, I realized, <laughs> just because otherwise it's going to be a 90-minute album. So, um, and I caught myself humming, and I hum all the time. Anyone who's ever like, taken anything with me or just hung out with me for, for a period of time certainly anyone who's ever done DMT with me knows that I hum with the music and I feel like it's a it's a bridge between yeah it is a bridge between yourself your deepest part of yourself and the vibrations that you're taking in it feels really medicine, good and, too yeah it feels really good and, yeah. the, and the medicine as well it makes you feel great on the medicine and um so I, f I found myself humming and then I was just like, right, I'm going to get that microphone, the same one I used to capture the uh, the beer glass, and just just hummed hummed it out. And there was this really strange noise on the channel. Having said it was unprocessed, it wasn't unprocessed. I did do some filtering, and because there was this crazy, you know, sometimes you plug your mic in and it makes all these weird crackly noises, and I, I you know, my engineer Sharif deals with all the mics, so I don't know anything about why they might go wrong. But on this occasion, this mic was just crackling like a fire and it was kind of cool but very disruptive <laughs> so i hummed this melody and then in order to get rid of the you know the, the the bits of that crackle they didn't like i had to make quite a tight filter around it which had the effect of just making it really really pure almost sine wavy but keeping all the inflections you know there's this it's, to me it sounds slightly celtic and slightly yeah i don't know yeah, almost yeah. like a strange little ceremonial you know, a kind of Celtic Icaro or something, but it just appeared and um, it got treated that way because it had to be treated that way. And then I just put it, you know, I placed it with the reverb and it was just like, yeah, that's, I guess that's there then, <laughs> you know. It, it felt very kind of egoless and very about, it's like if you're trying to be honest, and that was about as honest as as I could be because any friend, like I said, any friend I've taken DMT with or anything, you know, it just took, it's taken them straight back to that experience because this part of me just will do that. So yeah, you know, it's, it's putting everything of myself into it. Well, it just sounds like I hear over and over again, these series of gifts that were coming through, like a little melody or um, mm. a little mistake, but you're accepting it as a gift. Maybe it's an idea and it just, it all just starts, you just take, you're receiving of all the little things that came in yeah. and allowing them to just be inputted in like oh we'll figure it out later but it ends up yeah. typically being the piece yeah that's it yeah and it's um that's such a joyful way to write and it's nice to write something where you don't feel like you fought with it at any point um you know and it was so yeah i'll never forget the experience whatever happens to it it's important to remember before anyone hears it that that the experience itself was life-changingly beautiful so mm. um yeah well, it's it's been the same for me getting to know you and, and working even in a tiny way on this record mm. with you. I'm honored and I'm just so overjoyed that it's getting out into the world. And we all thank you for uh, stepping forward with such grace and authority to say, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm doing it. Oh. I've done it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And yeah, once again, thank you for 
um, inviting me to work on that beautiful speech with you. And uh, yeah, look forward to meeting in person. Yes, of, of course. And thank you to uh, Ram Das and the Love Server Member Foundation and everybody else, to Anna for introducing us and to Domino for working on this and everybody else. It's been mm. really great. Um, is there anything else you'd like to say to let people know before they were... T- is there any like, hey, if you're going to listen to this record, this is my message to you, or is it just totally like it's your call, do, do your thing? I think, I think generally... Um... I think we've pretty much covered it all apart from, you know, I think do at some point, whether you use medicines or not, um, listen to the whole thing lying down in the dark. Give it the space. Give yeah, it the carve space. Carve out the I, space I, a bit. Turn off the phone. You know, it's like yeah, give yourself the that, hour to experience yeah. it. Yeah. That's it. Whether it's headphones or speakers, really whatever you feel most comfortable in. There's something about headphones which does work well, but then, I yeah, sometimes blasting it on speakers is, you know, and let it take you over and just see what happens. <laughs> I love it. John Hopkins, thank you very much, man. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much, John, for taking the time to, to chat and letting me ask all my burning questions. I have I have more, but <laughs> I'll wait. And hopefully we'll be able to do more live events like we did in Austin together. I, I thought it was a beautiful marriage. And he's John's just such like a wonderful guy. I enjoy spending time with him. So for myself, selfishly, I'd just like to do more. But I can't wait for you to experience his new album in full. So go check it out. Music for Psychedelic Therapy from Domino Records. You can uh, order the vinyl and listen to it wherever you listen to it. And that Sit Around the Fire song, he's got a video for that as well as another single off the record. Check those out as well. Um, Really, really beautiful work all around. Beautiful craftsmanship and just some of the best stuff I've ever heard. So thank you so much, John, for, for coming on. You're hearing a little bit of Sit Around the Fire in the background. Um, I don't want to play too much because I don't want them to tell me I can't play it or something, but, you know, I want to honor the song. So uh, go check it out in full wherever you listen to music. And uh, I hope to see you on December 4th for our live event, our live stream event, so anyone can attend. Uh, it's a way of launching journeyspace.com. Check it out. All right, you guys keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do, you know what to do. Do it with grace. Is your inner connection. <laughs>